This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the May 3rd, 2019 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of the Oracle of the Action Network in Rotoviz. And as always, I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Uh, Nick, it has been a long time since we have talked. Uh, the last time we spoke, I believe you were still sweating what was going to happen uh, with Virginia in the uh, you know the college basketball playoffs, and uh, I was destroying March Madness props. Uh, it seems like so long ago. Uh, how is everything going with you? Yeah, I was gonna say it has been quite the quite the time since we we last spoke and you're absolutely right i think last time we we podcasted you were asking me about virginia versus purdue and whether i thought uh, virginia was gonna <laughs> you know survive that one and yeah. uh, it was it was crazy but uh, i probably spent way too much money on virginia national championship gear because we are of course the national champions and i had to get that across because that's the first time in my life and maybe the only time in my life will be national champions so um, I bought, I probably bought out all of the, the team stores stuff and, uh, don't regret it. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on that. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen with me and TCU, uh, probably not with football. Um, maybe at some point it could happen with baseball. Uh, TCU's had some teams, you know, to make the, uh, college world series, uh, almost certainly not basketball. So, uh, yeah, I think I will just have to uh, make it through life without uh, having a national champion, uh, national championship for my college team. But that's uh, that's how it is. Um, a lot of stuff has happened in the, the past month. Um, we've missed the Bristol, Richmond and Talladega races. Um, we are 10 races deep into the 2019 Cup Series regular season. Um, any DFS takeaways from the previous three races uh, that we should talk about or uh, anything from the season as a whole? Um, yeah, I mean, Richmond, another short flat track where, uh, you know, passing was was maybe a little bit difficult. And uh, so, you know, we've seen we've seen a pretty big trend there uh, where these short flat tracks are just not going so hot as far as this package is concerned. So. Um, yeah, I think that's just one of the things. Bristol is Bristol, I guess. And there was a lot of craziness at the beginning of the race. I was actually in Miami uh, when Bristol was going on, and I didn't get to watch the race, but I just followed the beginning on Twitter, and it was just like mayhem all over the place. So that was kind of 
kind of wild at the, at the start of the race. It, it settled down a little bit, but um, so Bristol still sounds like it's Bristol. But Talladega is the kind of the big newsmaker. Of course, that was the race last weekend. The aero package for Talladega was spot on, I think, in the majority of NASCAR fans' opinions, uh, the vast majority. It was a really good race, start to finish. We did get single file at one point, but that was only because the cars were, uh, uh, based off the way one of the cautions fell, the cars were about to run out of fuel, so they basically stayed in line single file just to kind of save fuel and draft each other um, rather than uh you know, dicing, slicing and dicing and and wasting more fuel. It was, it was a little bit better for all the teams um, if they kind of just stayed in single file and kept it calm and so they could get into the pits. Uh, but other than that, I mean, we saw two, three, four wide racing at times at Talladega, way better racing than we've seen under the past couple of, uh, you know, restrictor plate races. This is no longer a restrictor plate track. We now have to call them super speedways, I guess, uh, Daytona and Talladega, but uh, yeah, kudos to NASCAR for nailing the package um, at Talladega. I thought it was a great race, and, um, you know, there weren't any super big ones. There were definitely wrecks. There were definitely wrecks. There weren't any super big ones, but there was the potential for big ones. So I think it's encouraging, you know, knowing that restrictor plate racing has been a profitable venture for me as far as DFS, that we still have kind of the same thing with now what we call super speedway racing. So um, I think the DFS takeaway is, you know, keep playing them like we've been playing them. And and, and that's a very good thing. As far as the season as a whole, um, I certainly think the Chevys are, are a little bit down uh, after 10 races. But of course, you know, a year or two ago, the, the Toyotas hadn't won anything. I guess it was uh, two years ago. And all of a sudden, Toyota stormed back uh, and, and won basically everything. So uh, including, you know, Truex winning the championship. That was two years ago. So um Right now, definitely the Chevys are, are behind. Uh, we've obviously seen Kurt Busch have a very strong year so far uh, in a Chevy, the Ganassi Chevy there. But overall, um, it's not been a good year for them. And uh, Chase Elliott did win, of course, this past weekend at Talladega in a Chevy, the first win this year. But a little bit different circumstance because Talladega is a whole different beast to all the other tracks So uh, other than Daytona. So um, I think the other big takeaway is just the lack of speed in the Chevys. And, and we kind of said the same thing last year, and we, we were still kind of saying the same thing this year. So we haven't really seen a comeback from the Chevys this year. All right. So uh, that's some DFS talk uh, a little bit. We've also talked about betting uh, for NASCAR, uh, you know, kind of pseudo regularly uh, on the podcast. In the preseason, you wrote up five season long bets over at the Action Network. Uh, give us a quick recap of how those bets are doing so far and uh, how you kind of see that playing out for the rest of the season. Yeah, so um, preseason, like you said, I wrote I wrote up five bets over at Action, and uh, I really focused a lot on um, the fact that we were going to be down to 550 horsepower at a lot of the tracks. And then there was also you know the 750 horsepower tracks, um, which are the tracks uh, – you know, one mile in length or less. So, um, you know, we, we, we definitely got some things going on where a um, couple different aero packages and I thought certain drivers could take advantage of that. So my, my I think my top bet or one of the top bets I made uh, was Kyle Busch with more wins than Kevin Harvick. Uh, and they were both minus 110 on that. And right now Kyle Busch is leading Kevin Harvick three to zero. So yeah, um, that's, that's looking, pretty nice. Yeah, looking pretty good right there. Now, obviously, there's still 26 races to go, but Harvick's going to have to win three to push and, and four to, uh, to 
take over Kyle Busch without Kyle winning another race. So I'm feeling pretty confident on that one. Um, another one that I had was uh, Denny Hamlin over Kurt Busch and Denny Hamlin over Eric Almirola in season-long points. So uh, I was definitely riding the Denny Hamlin train just based – a lot of it based off of his Xfinity performance uh, you know, in the 550-horsepower races. But also the 750-horsepower races seem to kind of suit his style. A lot of them are the short flat tracks, which is what he's a specialist at. So overall, I thought you know the package really would benefit Denny Hamlin. And uh, he is currently leading both Kurt Busch and Eric Almirola in the points by about a one-race margin over Kurt Busch and about a race and a half over Eric Almirola. Now, obviously, if they both make the playoffs, or if they all make the playoffs, the points will get reset. But at least what we've seen through 10 races, I feel pretty encouraged by uh, you know Denny Hamlin's performance this year. And speaking of Denny Hamlin, I took him... Uh, in the article, 20 to one to win the championship. I actually got him 25 to one preseason at the Westgate, but nice. uh, a lot of the online sites were offering 20 to one. And uh, now at Westgate, Hamlin is down to 14 to one to win the championship. You can find him online other places like 12 or 13 to one. So um, that's very good. Hamlin's already gone from 25 down to 14 or 20 down to 12 if you're if you're online. Uh, and he has two wins on the year. Um, obviously, the win at the Daytona 500 under the restrictor plate package. Uh, but then he also has another win this year. So very encouraging to see Denny Hamlin with two wins this year. Finally, the last bet I made was Clint Boyer over Eric Jones. Um, and that was just a straight points bet as well. And Clint Boyer currently leading Eric Jones by over a full race in points as well. So, you know, Clint Boyer could finish last and Eric Jones could win the race and Clint Boyer would still be ahead after this weekend. So, so far we're looking, I wouldn't say five for five, obviously, because Denny Hamlin's not the favorite to win the championship or anything. But uh, so far we're, we're four for four on the head to heads and the, and the, you know, the season long uh, win championship bet has already come down quite significantly. So looking good. I feel confident that we're going to profit on those five bets come the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. And, and with the, uh, the Hamlin future, I mean, anytime you can get that, I wouldn't say it's necessarily closing line value, but anytime throughout the season, you can have the odds move in your favor. That's a, that is a big thing. Um, speaking of the action network, uh, you have started writing two articles per week there uh, for betting one is for outright and future bets, uh, and then the other is for head-to-head uh, -head and other prop bets uh, for each race. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those articles, about your process behind identi uh, identifying, making, and sizing your NASCAR bets? Sure. So um, the first thing is – first things first, um, I always check midweek bets. So the, the two articles I'll be writing are weekend bets, um, you know, after we've seen the on-track action and all that stuff. What are the bets to win? What are the head-to-head head, head, head props, et cetera? Um, so the first article I will be writing each weekend is the the futures article, um, you know, where the, the lines to win come out. Though usually those come out immediately after all the on-track activity has concluded for the weekend. And that also, other than the race, of course, and that usually also includes the Xfinity race. So during the Xfinity race uh, or, or the truck race, lines are, are, even for the Cup Series, are typically closed. Um, I, I think part of that is they want to see how maybe some of the Cup drivers who might be racing the Xfinity race are performing. You know, you, there's always the potential for injury. You don't want to open lines up during all that. So um, usually after the final on-track activity, including Xfinity, uh, has happened, they'll open the the futures for, for you know the outrights for for winning the race. So that article will get written first. 
Then uh, later on, very often head to head, um, other kind of props will be, you know, group props, head to head props will be released. Uh, and then even on Sunday morning, a lot of times or overnight, Saturday night to Sunday morning, you know, let's just say a typical Sunday race, uh, other props will be posted like cautions or finishing position props, um, top threes, et cetera. So I will on Sunday morning, maybe make some updates to the prop bet article. Um, if I find any that I like, and they'll just be kind of quick updates. But, uh, so, so again, the process is when the, the outrights come, I'll write the, the, you know, the, to win article, uh, then I will, uh, in the evening overnight, write the, the props article and then Sunday morning update with other props that, that come out as necessary. As far as my process, um, I definitely very heavily rely on my apps and my models. So, um, you know, we'll want to talk about that. But as far as, as um, you know, the, the process that I go through, I really, really look for uh, I, I found just this year that I, there's just certain drivers that are just kind of mispriced week in and week out. Matt Benedetto seems to be overpriced every week. William Byron seems to be underpriced very frequently. Um, you know, uh, right now, I think Kyle Larson, at least in DFS, is being underpriced. And I think he could be uh, going a little underpriced in the betting markets as well. Um, and conversely, his teammate Kurt Busch, who's been crushing it this year, I think is maybe getting overpriced in general. So I, I, a lot of what I start with is looking for certain drivers that have kind of just week in and week out been consistently either under or overpriced and just betting either for or against them. Um, but another obviously major part of it is using the apps, using the model and uh, just being a very data driven process. And then, um, you know, from there, uh, it's it's a little bit of intuition you know, just uh, a, a little bit of, especially with the rules package this year being different, you know, maybe pulling in things from, from the past or pulling in uh, uh, just these little things that you can't really capture in a numerical uh, model. Um, so, it, you know, it's just uh, really paying attention to Twitter, garage talk, uh, everything. And, and, and that's my process. So um, I put a lot of effort into really identifying good bets. Sometimes I'll have you know, seven or eight or nine bets in a weekend. And sometimes it may only be two or three, just depending on, uh, you know, the value that we find. I didn't, I didn't find a lot of value last weekend in the uh, outright bets for Talladega, for example. I thought the lines were all really short and we had no idea how Talladega was going to play out. So I only made two bets, uh, you know, after the final on-track activity, and that was Almirola and Stenhouse. Um, and both of those actually ended up leading a good portion of the race and having chances to win. So I felt like, Got pretty good odds on those two. Um, and if I made three three bets in the middle of the week there as well for Talladega. None of those won, but uh, all three also, um, I guess, had chances. Not really Kyle Busch as much, but but Larson at one point you know, got to the lead on speed, and he was 40-1 to one win. Trix uh, definitely had a lot of chances to lead there. So um, the process is really mostly, though, just numerical, data-driven, and then using some intuition. As far as sizing, you really want to pay attention to your bet sizing. So if we if we just use this, you know, kind of a unit size, I'll usually make most of my head-to-head props um, one unit unless I find something I think is really crazy value. I might go up to two or three units. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, a whole betting card, you also want to have those, you know, outrights those those longer shots to win sometimes especially when they're providing good value so you size those down to maybe a, a tenth of a unit or a quarter unit or, or a half unit depending on you know their their odds to win um so for example let's say we like kyle bush at eight to one uh, another driver maybe larson at 20 to one and we like a, a 50 to one long shot you're gonna bet more on Kyle Busch at eight to one, then you're going to bet on the 20 to one and on the 50 to one, because um, that'll help you, you know, uh, you're more likely to win the Kyle Busch bet 
it, it also uh, in, you know, sizes up better. So if you're betting, um, you know, half a unit on Kyle Bush at eight to one, then uh, you're getting four units back. Whereas if you're betting, you know, a tenth of a unit at 20 to one, you're getting, you know, two units back or maybe you bet two tenths of a unit, you get four units back. So um, it's 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 just kind of a sizing thing where always my prop bets, the, the shorter odds bets are going to be uh, heavier in terms of the amount of money I put in. So larger sized relative to the longer shots, you're just putting little splashes there. And overall, the aim is to maximize um, your chances of having a profitable weekend. At least that's what I like to do. Um, maximize my chances of having a profitable weekend. So even if I get swept on the head to heads, as long as one of my guys wins, I'll be profitable. Or if none of my guys win, at least I still give myself a chance to be profitable with the head to heads, for example. So um, I like, you know, uh, just kind of trying to size everything so that I give myself a chance to profit every weekend. All right. Well, I am going to uh, hit you with some impromptu questions. I'm going off script. I like um, it because I'm I'm looking now at uh, some of the some of the odds to win not the race uh, this upcoming weekend, but to win the uh, the season to win the NASCAR Cup um, and. You mentioned Kyle Larson as someone that you've noticed has been undervalued uh, throughout the season. He's plus 2,500 right now to win uh, the season. What are your thoughts on that number? Yeah, that's very interesting because um, I'm not sure where you're getting the number, but right now at Westgate, he is plus 1,000, so yeah. 10 to 1. Right. Um, so I, 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 yeah, I'm seeing that number, and it looks really wrong to me. So, And, and the funny yeah. thing is Homestead is one of Larson's best tracks, which is the championship race. So if he was able to squeak into Homestead, I'm pretty sure he'll make the playoffs. I'm not concerned about him making the top 16. He'll probably sneak a win, or if not, he you know he will uh, he'll he'll claw back in points. He's had some really bad luck this year. He's shown a lot of promise. He's dominated one of the mile and a half races this year before having a pit problem. Um, I have no doubt he'll make the playoffs. Uh, yeah. And then the question is, what can he do in the playoffs? And uh, if he somehow makes it to Homestead, which he hasn't yet, but he's he's definitely had the potential. The playoffs is the playoffs have been his big bugaboo, um, which is the only you know problem with him is that he's got a lot of upside but he's got a lot of downside but those are kind of sometimes the bets we like because those guys take chances and when it all pays off oh it pays off really well so 25 to 1 kyle larson i would make that bet in a heartbeat um yeah, yeah. so I mean, that... you know, I, i'm i'm seeing him 10 to 1 at westgate and uh i feel like they're probably a little more on point with things yeah that number feels so off to me that I normally don't like to to go kind of big on the you know the futures because like they're I mean they're so random but something mm-hmm. like that that number just feels so off that I I might go a little bit larger than I normally do. Um, what about uh, Kurt Busch also uh, twenty five to one? So it's one of those weird things where um, you know I actually even though Kurt Busch has performed better than Larson. Mm-hmm. He's more of a consistency guy these days, whereas yeah. Larson is the upside guy. Yeah. So yeah. of the two, I, even though you know Kurt is crushing Larson right now in terms of season-long performance, uh, I still feel like Larson has more upside to just win the championship. And especially when you consider Homestead, um, I, I think it's it's for me Larson is is the clear uh, you know guy I would choose between the two. Um, Larson has more wins than Kurt Busch over the you know the past three years or whatever, uh, and um, Kurt Busch. While he's consistently been putting up top fives, he hasn't really dominated races this year. At least we've seen Larson dominate one race. And we also know the race that absolutely matters, Homestead, is one of his best tracks. So 
um, you know, that's kind of the separation there for for me. Like, just going back to this Larson thing, 25 to 1, right? I got Denny Hamlin 25 to 1 preseason. If I had Larson 25 to 1 preseason, I would have lost my mind at Larson 25 to 1 preseason. Like, I was happy with Hamlin 25 to 1, but I would have just lost my mind if I saw Larson 25 to 1 preseason. You're getting that at him that in season now just because of bad luck? Heck yeah, I would take that. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, one more to, to highlight, although uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is actually even serious as something that I would uh, consider doing. But uh, some of these some of these deeper guys, um, Bubba Wallace is literally a thousand to one. Like, I I mean, NASCAR is a random sport, you know, like a thousand to one. Like that just seems way off to me. Uh, I mean, it would take uh, I think a thousand to one for a single race is great. But the fact that we have this playoff structure uh, makes it so that. A, first he has to make the playoffs. He's probably yeah. not going to. Yeah. B, he has to make it through three rounds of the playoffs. And then C, he has to win the final race. I actually think 1001 is not very good. Uh, That's hilarious. Okay. I mean, I yeah. was just looking at this like from my like Kevin Malone now, perspective of like now, if anyone gives you 10,000 to one odds. If you get but, a driver yeah. 1,000 to one just for like Pocono, you got to yeah. take it. Remember, Chris yeah. Buescher won Pocono in the fog out race. Like – you know, 1,000, I think he was 1,000 or 500 to one or something. Uh, I think you can, you know, do those kinds of gambles for a single race. Absolutely. Yeah, right. It's it's especially random to get through yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and, and the one I always take is a lot of people like to take these two, uh, David Reagan or Michael McDowell at plate races. Um, they're usually 80, hundred, 150 to one. I took McDowell 150 to one, I think for the Daytona 500. Um, I didn't take Reagan at 100 to one to win Talladega, but I did in the Action Network article write him up four to one to uh, finish in the top ten. And for a lot of the race, he was riding in the top ten. I feel like it was a really good bet. You know, he's now because he didn't finish in the top ten, but uh, he's still 50 percent at finishing in the top ten during his time at, at Front Row Motorsports. So, uh, and, and he was riding in the top ten for a lot of the race. I think he even got out to the lead at one point on pure speed. So I, I liked that bet, even though at the end. Um, he ended up having uh, – he missed pit road or missed, missed his box or something, got a lap down, finally got back in the lead lap towards the end of the race there, pushed his way in the top 10, fell back out of the top 10, and then started that last big one there. So uh, that, that last big one crushed all of my bets this past weekend. It took out Kyle Larson, took out William <laughs> Byron, took out David Reagan, and the one before that, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. wrecked. So all of my bets got wiped out in like two two wrecks there at the very end. But uh, I did win the El- Eric Almarola bet uh, over – I forget who it was. He he crashed out really early in the race. Uh, Clint Boyer or something like yeah. that. But uh, yeah, super early in the race and uh, won that one. So you know, at least I I got one bet.
that yeah. uh, hit. But uh, okay. It wasn't a great weekend for Talladega, but that's Talladega. Right, yeah. Okay, one, one more here to totally derail the show. Uh, you've mentioned William Byron. I know that uh, PJ Walsh from the Action Network is, uh, I, I think a Byron fan, has been on him a few times this year. Um, right now to win the championship, he is plus 10,000. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that number? I, I don't... I don't hate that number for him, um, uh-huh. but uh, I, don't, I don't love that number for him either. It's just like yeah. – it's the same thing where like, you know, that's like backing a, a, a 14 seed to win the NCAA tournament um, kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm not really into that. Uh, I really just like these – the mid-range value is is where it's it's the best, right? You got like yeah. your Brian Blaney's or your, your uh, Kyle Larson's or your – Hamlin's or Kurt Bush's or Chase Elliott's, you know, Chase Elliott now because he won Talladega is eight to one, but uh, at Westgate, but before that, I mean, like a lot of that mid range value is what I'm looking to bet week in a week out for races and also for, for season long, because these are guys, I mean, we saw Eric Almarola, he finished fifth in the point standings last year. He made it to that you know final eight and he didn't quite make it into the final four, but he still finished fifth. Like that's somebody who could sneak into Homestead. And then all they have to do is win one race, right? So yeah. that's the range I love betting, like season long, um, you know, futures bets to win the championship. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know I said that was going to be the last question, but this will really be the last question on this tangent. Lies. Um, okay. I'm going to list off some drivers um, and stop me when you get to the point where uh, you think it's realistic that that is the group of guys who have like a real shot of winning the championship. I think it's maybe around like 10 guys. I like this. Um, maybe more, but Harvick, Kyle Busch, Truex Jr., Elliot Larson, Kozlowski, Logano. I think those guys are, are clearly in there. And then after, uh, after them, I'd say Blaney has a chance. Clint Bauer, you think he has a chance? Mm-hmm. And then Eric Jones, I think for me, Jones, and then I'll say Hamlin. And then after Hamlin, I think like that's my cutoff. Yeah, I, I so I'm looking at, at Westgate and just reading off the names. Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Keselowski, Truex, Logano, Boyer, Kurt Busch, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Eric Almirola, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, Eric Jones. That's even Jones. I, you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think he has a chance to, um, but I might put the cutoff just before Jones. The thing is, it's like okay. Jones and Jimmy Johnson are, are – you know, I could kind of smear the line one way or the other with Jones and Johnson. Uh, but I think that's kind of where it ends for me. I don't see yeah. Daniel Suarez or, or Dylan or Stenhouse or Newman kind of, you know, taking yeah. the cake. I, I think maybe, 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 uh, you know, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. would be like one really weird one that I would throw in there just because he also is – He's kind of a Kyle Larson uh, type driver. He's great at the steep tracks, um, has a lot of upside and a lot of downside. So even though I think he's kind of below the line, he might be the one driver below the line that I would I would take a chance on. And uh, that's you know at two hundred to one I wouldn't, but at five hundred to one I probably you know or a thousand to one I probably would with Stenhouse. But yeah. um, you know he's he might be the one driver below the line that I would actually consider. You know what we need? Uh, we need you to do some sort of study looking at the um, like the history of the NASCAR playoff structure mm-hmm. and how that has changed throughout the years and then how that has impacted um, the the betting market uh, for futures to win the the championship um, because I think the that'd structure, be really cool the structure we have now 
I imagine that it is very hard for a long shot to win. So you basically are looking at a group of maybe like 10 guys throughout the season who have a realistic chance of winning the championship out of a field of, you know, like 35 to 40 drivers. I will say it's a lot easier for a long shot to win than it was in the past with NASCAR when it was just really? 30, 36 races and the driver of the most points at the end wins the championship. There's no okay. way a guy like yeah. Stenhouse would ever win the championship. Okay. So I still think it's a long shot, but it's definitely not as long shot as before we ever had the playoffs or okay. or the chase. <laughs> yeah. See, that's that's good information to have. So, um, I yeah, I would be interested in just kind of knowing historical odds of – what long shots have won? What was the, the format in which they won? I was going to say it's kind of like the English Premier League, right? You just play 38 games and the winner comes out on top. But then Leicester, or sorry, uh, yeah, it was, wasn't a Leicester one, like 5,001 or something, won the championship. So, um, yeah, but uh, it's it's pretty hard for a super long shot in NASCAR to win the title. I think it's kind of similar to the Premier League, but, uh, um, you know, we did have that one surprise a few years ago, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of think there, there could be a surprise in NASCAR as well. Um, I actually think Jimmy Johnson's most recent championship, his seventh one was kind of a surprise. He was not the favorite to win that year. Yeah. Uh, he was actually of the four drivers in the finals. He was probably the worst driver in that race and he raced the worst. He just happened to benefit from randomness. Uh, that race, uh, two of the leaders basically took each other out for the win and then Kyle Busch had his own issue there at the end, and uh, Johnson won. So amazing. Uh, okay, let's let's get back to uh, what we're actually supposed to talk about. Uh, although I should say that I, was a nice little detour. I like it was it. a great detour, and you know I could talk NASCAR every day, so um, it would be fun to do. Maybe not maybe not every day, but but more frequent NASCAR podcast as well. Just uh, talking NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Rotoviz. Uh, there has been a site redesign. I'm sure people have noticed it looks very, very sleek. Uh, with that, the NASCAR apps are going to be out of commission. One might say in the garage. Nailed it. Uh, Nailed it. In the, in the garage for a little while. Uh, talk to us, Nick, about the, the process going forward for the NASCAR apps and a possible Rotoviz NASCAR DFS package. Yeah, so um, the site as you mentioned, looks awesome. Uh, we've got NFL. We've got a lot of different things with NFL, obviously the dynasty stuff. Um, we've got uh, the master class or whatever it's called. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, so much going on with the NFL side of things. We've got PGA, we've got MMA, um, you know, just a tons of stuff going on over at Rotoviz. Uh, as far as the NASCAR side of things is going though, the apps, as you mentioned, are going to be in the garage for a little bit. You know, don't worry. They're going to, they're going to, like any good team, fix it up and uh, get it out there very soon, back on track. And uh, so, we're, you know, that's what we're doing with the apps. We're going to get the apps back on track. They're going to be, um, when we do roll them back out, they're going to be auto-updating. So I don't have to uh, update them every week. And, uh, you know, as soon as NASCAR releases practice data or NASCAR releases qualifying data or whatever, 10-lap average, all that stuff, the apps, it'll basically, it'll scrape the data, update the apps, you know, instantaneously and, uh then uh, that'll be even better for you guys. So then once all that's set and done, we'll, we'll possibly roll out a, a, you know, a season-long or rest-of-season package or maybe some individual test race packages while we get things kind of – the kinks worked out with the new site and as far as the, the NASCAR stuff goes, with an eye towards definitely next year having the full season-long better-than-ever NASCAR DFS package. So I'm pretty excited about that. But I really want to get it to where these apps are – auto updating and then also make a couple of changes to the apps. I would love to have on the split side of things, 
um, or not the splits, the sim scores where you can compare two or three different drivers, uh, sim scores, you know, cause there's a lot of times in DFS, you're like, who's a good driver to pivot off of. And you can compare two or three drivers and, uh, you know, compare their sim scores or with the, the optimizer pulling upload different projections or with the, the, uh, get a, an, a model app, right? So the model that I do every weekend, get that up as an app. And then you guys can tinker with the inputs and create your own model, load them into the optimizer. So, so much stuff we want to do that we want to get it right before we uh, put it back up so that, you know, um, we don't, especially with rolling out the new site, there have been some bugs, even with the NFL side and the, the other side of things, there have been some bugs and some kinks to work out. Um, but with NASCAR, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to keep it all in the garage, as you mentioned, make the car nice and shiny and, and sleek and fast uh, and get it out back on track, uh, 100% ready to go to win the race. All right, let's, uh, let's get into this weekend's race at Dover which is a one-mile steeply banked concrete oval. Uh, it is the second steep track uh, for the year, the first at Bristol. Uh, talk about racing at Dover, and uh, do you think that the Bristol race uh, can help us in looking at what to expect for Dover this weekend? Yeah, Dover's – I actually really like racing at Dover. Um, it's kind of a cool track, you know, one mile – they call it the Monster Mile, steeply banked concrete, as you mentioned. But the way the turns are – it's it's almost like you fall into the turns rather than uh you know the, everybody feels like you make kind of when you're going in the turn you go uphill here it's like a roller coaster like you're almost going downhill into the turns it's it's pretty interesting so um i just think it's such a cool track because even the straightaways at dover are banked so anytime there's a wreck the cars will slide to the inside and dover can have big ones um just because of the way the cars wreck they come back across the track kind of block the track and you get some insane wrecks at Dover. I mean, absolutely insane wrecks at Dover. Um, Clint Boyer has been on his lid. We've seen 15, 20 car pileups at Dover. Um, just a, a really crazy track, but it's a track you can pass at. It's also a track that if your car is hooked up, you can check out and uh, lead a lot of laps, a lot, a lot of laps. So um, Dover is, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of a pretty variable track, but um you know, it, it, it's it's an exciting track. It's a fun race to watch. The leader could, but the leader could also check out. And uh, you know, um, it'll it remains to be seen how it races under this aerodynamic package. I'm not really sure uh, how that's all going to play out. Um, but uh, you know, we are using the the larger spoiler, the larger splitter, the radiator pan, the lower horsepower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but, uh, I definitely think that, uh, this is going to be a fun race, but, um, you know, passing certainly possible Dover. It's wide enough. Uh, you get a good run. You can definitely pass. So I'm hoping, hoping there's going to be a lot of passing at Dover this weekend. It's going to be a good race. All right. Well, let's talk about, um, the race in more detail, 400 miles, 400 laps, which means, total domination for this weekend uh talk about what we should look at for dominators at dover yeah so um and and real quick i actually forgot to mention about bristol there uh but uh i actually don't think Bristol's going to be a good guide there for dover just because um you know it, it's bristol's its own unique beast especially being a half mile in length and having to use the bumper uh and all of that it's just it's just one of those tracks that's so unique i don't think it's going to be a good guide for dover um, it, uh, it, yeah, it was also, it's 750 horsepower as Dover is going to be 550 because it's one mile or bigger. Whereas the 750 is being used at the tracks less than a mile in length and the road courses. So, um, you know, I think Dover 
uh, will definitely be different than Bristol. So just to get that out of the way, I don't think Dover is going to be similar. As far as what we're going to look for um, you know, in Dominators, I think Dover is a track that because it's 400 laps, even though a guy can check out and lead for a good while – you still get a number of dominators at Dover. You still get a lot of dominators. So, um, you know, you, we, we will see at least two dominators, probably three dominators throughout the race. Uh, if we kind of just, you know, go back through history here, uh, I'm just stalling to to uh, sort this uh, data sheet I have here. Uh, but um, so going all the way back to 2013, which, of course, is the Gen 6 car. And I think 2013 is going to be an important number because we talk about the two eras of, of racing under the Gen 6 car with the high downforce era from 13 to 15, and the low downforce era from 16 to 18. We're kind of, kind of going back to high downforce now. So I want to go all the way back to 2013. We had uh, Kyle Busch and Jimmy Johnson each lead uh, about 150 laps. Kyle Busch was 150. Jimmy Johnson was 143. And then Hamlin led 41. Um, scrolling down from there, uh, we just see that a, a different number of drivers lead a lot of different uh, races. So we've had anything from two to four dominators at Dover. So, uh, you know, I, the, when you get four dominators, it's usually like one major and then three minor dominators. So not even necessarily you can fit all three minor dominators into your winning lineup just because of the way salaries work out. So I'm looking at three dominators in most of my lineups, some two dominator lineups uh, for Dover. But but by and large, you know, it, it, it is pretty spread out at Dover. Anywhere from two to four dominators, you know, at least leading enough laps or, or having enough laps plus fastest laps combined to give you a shot at, uh, you know, being in the winning lineup. So um, I'm probably looking at three in most of my Dover lineups. Okay, so uh, so much for domination. Um, what do you use to identify dominators at Dover? Yeah, so the as far as the model goes, in terms of just laps led, which I think is when we talk dominators, we more often think of laps led than fastest laps because uh, it's easier to identify who's leading the laps than in race than who's getting the fastest laps. But uh, a lot of it is recent history, so last half of year racing. So for me, I would say year to date. Uh, so we want to look at year to date dominator performance, year to date quality pass percentage um so we've got 10 races now of course two of them are restrictor plate races so i'd remove those but of the eight other races um we can use those to kind of identify so we're at the point in the season where we start to use basically season long data instead of going back in the last year uh so we're going to use the first eight races of this year for for dominators to, to kind of identify that as well as track-specific dominance. So we're not looking at steep tracks as a whole, which I think it's actually kind of funny that, another side discussion, I think it's funny we actually classify things as steep track racing because even the steep tracks are not created equal. We've got uh, Bristol, which is its own unique beast, especially now that it's a different horsepower than the other uh, steep tracks. We've got Darlington and Homestead, which will not run the air ducts. I think Dover is running the air ducts, of course. So um, we've got basically all the steep tracks are different now. So, uh, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting, but uh, track specific dominance at Dover and year to date overall dominance are the two main factors that go into the model this weekend as far as dominating. So uh, speaking of data, what data goes into the finishing position model for Dover? So I actually have two models for Dover um, as far as finishing position. The first one is all the races from 2013 to 2018. And the second one is only looking at 2013 to 2015, the high downforce era, because we're back to the high downforce era uh, of this type of car. 
And so I get a little bit different things when I punch in the two different models. So first, let's just talk about Dover as a whole from uh, 2013 to present. First of all, number one, every single of the top 30 models is 10 lap average. Um, of course, that's the, the data that NASCAR releases. Obviously, we want to look at longer 20, 30, et cetera, lap runs in pra final practice. But uh, of what NASCAR releases in final practice, we want the 10 lap average tops in every you know or it's in there in every one of the top 30 models uh second starting position matters so um i thought that was a little bit interesting because dover is definitely a track that has some randomness and some uh ability to pass so i thought it was interesting that starting positions in there but i think starting position may just be a proxy for for overall quality and, and speaking of over quality overall quality year-to-date driver rating has already come into play at the dover model um so that is in the model and then finally track quality quality pass percentage. So um, just looking at Dover quality pass percentage. Now, uh, why quality pass percentage? I'm not really sure, but it correlates very strongly, very, very, very strongly with driver ratings. So we could just say it's another proxy for driver quality at this track. Um, so uh, essentially track quality, uh, year-to-date quality, and 10-lap average, as well as a little bit of starting position makes that up. And I'm not, I'm not sure why, but maybe starting position might have a little bit to do with shorter run speed. We do get some shorter runs at Dover because of, of the mayhem that can happen there. So uh, maybe that's what starting position is a little bit of a proxy for shorter run speed. But uh, it's interesting because because single lap speed in final practice didn't show up, but, but starting position does. But I think, you know, it's also just better to start at the front. You avoid maybe some of the calamity as well if you're starting out front. Uh, as far as the, the 2013 to 2015 model, very similar. Again, uh, 10 lap average shows up in the vast majority of the models, but not in every single one of the models, most of them. Um, it's all but one of them. Uh, but the other things are all very track or type specific. So no year to date stuff has come in yet at the 2013 to 2015 data. Uh, it's instead track quality pass percentage again. And then track type stuff, so the steep tracks uh, driver rating and the steep tracks dominance. Um, and I'm a little less inclined to believe that that's going to be as good this year just because of all the different aero packages. But it is the high downforce uh, thing we've got going for us there. So I'm going to run both models, um, probably blend them together and uh, use that as my personal way of, of uh, analyzing the race. But I'll, you know probably present them both. And what we didn't mention, of course, with the, the Road of His Apps stuff is that uh, uh, there won't be, because there's no apps, how will I disseminate this information? Well, I still have the apps on my side. So um, I'll figure out a way to post the sim scores and the model. Um, it might be on a personal blog. I'll, I'll, maybe I can do it on a Road of His article, uh, but we'll figure out some way. Maybe I just post a tweet with, uh, you know, Excel spreadsheet, uh, screen capture. We'll figure it out. But uh, in some way, we're going to disseminate this information to you guys. And uh, I'm pretty excited for, for for Dover just because, like I said, it's another – I mean, most of these NASCAR races are, are awesome because they're unique tracks. Uh, and that's what I love. And I really hope going forward as NASCAR continues to evolve, uh, you know, they're evolving the car. They're looking at 20 – I think 2021 for a new car. So, Jen – seven or whatever it is car um and uh also maybe uh some changes to the schedule to the structure of the series uh i hope we get a few more uh diverse tracks because i love the diversity of the tracks um instead of all of these one and a half mile ovals you know you go to a dover you go to a, a martinsville you go to a bristol you go to a talladega it's so it's so crazy it's awesome um so most of these races i just absolutely love because they're so unique and then you go back to like 
here's Texas, here's Atlanta, here's Kansas. You're like, oh, okay, another mile and a half. So, um, exciting. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99, polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I did for Dover this weekend. What is the accuracy of the Dover model? So funny story um, with all of the craziness that can happen at Dover of the drivers that finish. Remember, the accuracy is based off of the drivers that finish. I throw out um, DNFs and I just look at what can we predict of the drivers that don't get caught up in incidents. It actually is pretty high. It's around 0.61. So um, on the slightly above average side of things, which I think is a little weird, it's, it's counterintuitive to me with all the randomness. Uh, in terms of accidents that can happen at Dover. But I guess it is a very skilled track. We talk a lot about track history. Um, I think it's very important to look at track history at Dover, and that probably helps separate the field a little bit and keeps it a little more predictable. So uh, accuracy 0.61 at Dover for out-of-sample data. So um, obviously, you know, it, it will vary a little bit. Races actually this year, as we've talked about in an earlier podcast, have tended to be more predictable. So maybe this will be another race that's a little more predictable. And what is the incident rate at Dover? Yeah, so speaking of more predictable, um, <laughs> the incident rate overall from 2013 to present is around 22%. But, big but, uh, 16% from 2013 to 2015 and 28% from 2016 to 2018. So the higher downforce era had a significantly lower DNF rate than the low downforce era. And now we're back to the high downforce. So I'm curious if that's going to continue. Um, you know, also the, the first Dover race of the year has traditionally had a lower DNF rate than the second Dover race of the year. So um, I think we're expecting, uh, you know, Maybe a lower DNF rate this weekend, but uh, overall from 2013 to 2018, it's been 22%. And uh, you talked about the high versus low downforce eras of the Gen 6 car. Um, how are you weighting the different downforce eras in your analysis this weekend? I actually think it's it's pretty significant. Um, if we look at the short flat tracks, uh, they have, and I know this is a steep track, but just just bear with me for a second. Let's look at the short flat tracks. They have been boring this year. They've been hard to pass at. The higher downforce has definitely made a difference at these short flat tracks. I expect it could make a difference at Dover as well. Maybe not in the same way, but just in the fact these cars are more stable because they have more downforce, uh, more grip, so probably fewer accidents. Um, uh, I don't know as far as passing if it'll be easier or harder. I have no idea, but I do think it will make a difference. So I'm definitely waiting uh, 2013 to 2015. You know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the overall data from 2013 to 2018, and then probably when there's some split decisions, give a little bit of weight towards the the 2013 to 2015 era. So that's kind of my plan this weekend. Is just take everything in the Gen 6 era, 2013 to present, and then in some really tough cases, uh, maybe give the the edge to the to the higher downforce era. 
you've already used the downforce arrows to uh, make some bets. Can you talk about the two bets that you've placed? Yeah, I mean, it's really just betting against one guy, and, and it's somebody we've been talking about a little bit earlier. Kurt Busch has been so consistently good this year that uh, he's he's getting a little overpriced, in my opinion. And especially when we look at the downforce eras at Dover, Kurt Busch, a guy I love betting against this weekend uh, as far as as racing at Dover. So if you look at 2016 to 2018 for Kurt Busch, he had some very strong finishes at Dover. Um, he had... Last year, two fifth-place finishes at Dover. Uh, the year before that, he um, he had a DNF and a 20th. And the year before that, he had another fifth place and a 15th. So definitely has top five potential at Dover. I mean, three out of the six Dover races in the, the lower downforce era, he finished top five. But now let's go to the higher downforce era. He had one finish better than 17th, and that was only a 12th-place finish. He only led... Uh, you know, small smattering of laps. He led 0.25% of all of the laps that were run during those six races. Uh, didn't run up front. Driver rating of only 79. Not good at all. So Kurt Busch, one of those guys I was looking at to bet against this weekend. And I found two values. I found uh, Clint Boyer versus Kurt Busch uh, at uh, even money there. And I, there's no way I could pass up Clint Boyer at Dover. Boyer, very often runs up near the front in Dover. Um, he doesn't necessarily dominate Dover, but he's just very often inside the top, uh, you know, five and 10. And, um, you know, he has a 99 driver rating. Clint Boyer does 99 driver rating. Kurt Busch is 79 during the 2013 to 2015 era. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's very important just because that's a, that's a significant difference. And then during the, the low downforce era, they were pretty comparable with, with Boyer still um, maybe having a slight edge over Kurt Busch. So, uh, for me, that was a no-brainer. And then also, you're getting Blaney at plus 110 I got uh, versus Boyer. So, you know, I was getting dog juice on, on Blaney there. And uh, Blaney has actually won at Dover in the Xfinity series. Um, and so, you know, it's a little tougher because he's only driven in the low-down force era at Dover. Um, but uh, I still feel like just when you get a guy who's on Stuart Haas race who has dominated races this year and recently and, uh, you know, has won in the Xfinity series at this track. I, I feel like it's good enough for Blaney to be plus 110 versus a guy who really struggled in the high downforce era at Dover. Uh, and fortunately for me, both of those lines have already moved. Kurt Busch versus Boyer. Now Boyer is a minus 130 favorite. And Blaney moved from a dog to even money versus uh, uh, Kurt Busch. Now they're both minus 110 over at the Westgate. So um, I got my money in good, so to speak. All right. Uh, what else will we be keeping your eye on as far as betting goes heading into the weekend? Um, definitely practice. Both eras of of the, the you know, uh, Gen 6 car, we've seen that practice has been very important at Dover. So I'm going to heavily rely on practice. Uh, one thing that I think is kind of interesting is the separation between um, DFS and sports betting as far as like what we're seeing in the market. You know, uh, somebody like Kyle Larson was – he's so good at these steep tracks just in general. Kyle Larson has been good at steep tracks. I should have picked him up at 25 to 1 early in the week, um, but I think he moved down to 18 to 1 or something like that at Westgate uh, to win. So Kyle Larson is somebody I want to keep an eye on just in general because he's had so much bad luck this year. He's, you know, he's just, I'm already leading into the next question on the outline, but he's underpriced in DFS. He's $8,000. It's stupid. Um, Kyle Larson is a steep track master. He's had very bad luck this year. Certainly 
he uh, it, this is maybe not the best style of racing for him as far as the rules package, but he's so talented. He's already dominated one race this year. Um, you know, he's he, he eight thousand is just ridiculous. The the betting market is undervaluing him. Kyle Larson's a guy I love just jumping all over, but really I definitely want to see long run speeds this weekend because it's a top factor in, you know, of the the two models I looked at, 59 of the 60 top models. Okay, I was I was muted there and I was just speaking, but uh nah, here we go. Uh in addition to Kyle Larson, who are some of the other drivers? heading into the weekend, uh, obviously before practice, that you think are uh, undervalued? Yeah, I like, the, I like the pregnant pause there. That was cool. Uh, Clint Boyer, um, definitely underpriced, $8,500. Um, so, you know, $500 more than Kyle Larson. I talked about him at Dover in the high downforce era, basically a driver rating of 100. I mean, that's somebody who should be priced up around upper 9K, maybe lower 10K range. So definitely like Clint Boyer. I, I really I, I almost bet every single driver in this mid range this weekend to win. I decided not to um, because I I felt like it would probably be pretty pretty dumb. But uh, I wanted to bet like Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, Clint Boyer, Jimmy Johnson, and Kyle Larson all to win. Um, just because like that range right there looks so good this weekend. Um, you know Blaney with the Xfinity win. Eric Jones is very good and aggressive at steep tracks. Clint Boyer obviously good Dover history. Um, Jimmy Johnson, the, probably the Dover master most wins all time at Dover, uh, Kyle Larson, Steve track master. Like I just wanted to bet that whole mid range there this weekend. I didn't, but that's where I'm looking at a lot of the DFS value. I mean, you got Jimmy Johnson, $8,200. And you look at the high downforce era at Dover. He absolutely smashed it. I mean, crushed it. Uh, basically just won everything at, at Dover in the high downforce era. So, uh, and he's shown potential at times this year. You know, obviously he had that fifth at Texas. Um, he, he's also shown some lack of speed at times. But uh, as far as Dover goes, right, I mean, Jimmy Johnson won in 2014 and 2015 this race, so the first race of the year. And uh, in the second race of the year, he won in 2013. So he won three of the six Dover races under the Gen 6 car in the high downforce era. His other finishes were third, and then he had a, a DNF in 41st, and then a 17th. So... Um, you know, he kind of removed the DNF uh, because that's just things that happen. But, uh, you know, he won three of the five races that he finished in that era. So definitely looking at Jimmy Johnson, definitely looking at Clint Boyer, definitely looking at Kyle Larson. That mid-range right now, that 8K price range looks so juicy for DFS. And uh, what about the guys you think are overpriced? Uh, one guy who's overpriced for me is Joey Logano. Uh, his higher downforce era results were terrible. Um, he was down in the mid eighties in driver rating and he's the second highest priced driver there at 11,800. So, uh, I'm probably avoiding Joey Logano at all costs this weekend, unless he just shows tremendous speed. Uh, and, and as far as that goes, I mean, he's probably the only guy I have like serious qualms with his pricing. Um, you know, I think you could, you could maybe argue that somebody like Matt DiBenedetto is a little high priced, but DiBenedetto is good at the steep tracks, but he seems to be better at like at Bristol than at Dover. So maybe you could argue Matt DiBenedetto uh, a little overpriced at, uh, at 7,200. And, and again, he's one of those guys that I talk about that just, I like betting against. And I think we could maybe see kind of the same thing at, at Dover, uh, but as far as DFS, right, like his Dover finishes 29 and 27 last year, not that great. Uh, the year before that, 29 and 31, 
uh, 27, and then a DNF in 40th. But all these finishes that I'm listing are finishes, not not DNFs. They're actual finishes other than that 40th that I mentioned. He's just his, – his Dover results aren't his Bristol results, right? His Bristol results, a finish of 12th, a finish of 19th, a finish of uh, – um, what was that one? Sixth place finish at Bristol, right? Like he's – 17th. Uh, he's very good at Bristol, but Dover and Bristol are not the same track. Yes, they're both concrete steep tracks. Very different. I'm probably fading Max Benedetto this weekend. I'm hoping he comes up in a lot of head-to-heads because I will probably be uh, fading him in some head-to-heads if I can find some value there. Uh, all right, Nick. Uh, anything in terms of schedule for this weekend that people should be aware of? Yeah, obviously uh, no no apps or anything like that. Um, and uh, But just the Action Network articles. Um, So my wife's birthday is tomorrow, so happy birthday to her. But uh, we will still be writing the articles tomorrow um, after – after, uh, you know, she, she has her celebration and everything like that, I'll still get the articles out for Action Network. So the first one is going to be the Futures bet. And I should be home uh, when the lines get posted. So the Futures uh, article should be posted pretty quick, you know, the outrights to win and all that. Um, maybe some top three, fives, or tens, depending on what is released when. Um, I like including those in the Futures article as well. Uh, and then the head-to-head article will be done later that evening and probably, you know, posted either overnight or Sunday morning. Um, and then I'll post some Sunday morning updates if I find any good ones available to the to the head-to-head and overall props article. So that's the schedule. Um, as far as the, the apps, like I said, no app updating, but I will um, at least try to put the SIM scores and the model results somewhere. going to try to figure out where that is. I don't, I don't know what the best solution is yet, but we'll figure something out. And, uh, you know, whether it's on my whether I have to revive the old uh, blog that I used to write before I ever started doing fantasy sports or uh, posting screenshots to Twitter, we'll figure something out. Uh, all right. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.